This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. The U.S. House January 6th committee is closing out its set of summer hearings with its most detailed focus yet on the investigation's main focus, that is former U.S. President Donald Trump. The panel has been examining Trump's actions on January 6, 2021, as hundreds of his supporters broke into the U.S. Capitol, going through the deadly afternoon in minute-by-minute fashion to show how long it took the former president to call off the rioters. The panel is focusing on 187 minutes that day between Trump's call for his supporters to march to the Capitol and when he told them to go home. U.S. President Joe Biden says that he is doing great after testing positive for COVID-19. The White House said Thursday the 79-year-old Biden is experiencing very mild symptoms, including a stuffy nose, fatigue, and a cough. He's uh, taking uh, Paxlovid, an antiviral drug designed to reduce the severity of the disease. Biden is fully vaccinated and uh, getting two doses of the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine shortly before taking office. Uh, First booster shot in September and an additional dose on March 30th. The White House COVID-19 coordinator, Dr. Ashish Shah, told reporters at a briefing that the president will isolate himself for five days and can return to his usual activities after negative tests. Biden himself tweeted to the nation that I'm doing great. Thank you for your concern. Again, U.S. President Joe Biden does say that he's doing just fine after testing positive for COVID-19. And the White House said that he is experiencing very mild symptoms thus far. More at VOANews.com. This is VOA News. The deliveries of Western arms have been crucial for Ukraine's efforts to fend off Russian attacks in the nearly five-month-old war. Ukrainian officials praise the billions of dollars of Western weapons systems they've already received, but they say that their numbers are too small to turn the tide of the war. Ukraine's first lady was in Washington on Wednesday to appeal to the U.S. Congress for air defense systems. The small numbers of U.S.-made multiple rocket launchers have given Ukraine a long-sought capability to strike Russian targets from a safe distance with precision, and supplies of Western heavy artillery systems, armored vehicles, and other weapons have been essential to replenishing uh, Kyiv's equipment losses. The U.S. Supreme Court will not allow the Biden administration to implement a policy that prioritizes uh, the deportation of people in the country illegally who pose the greatest public safety risk. The court's order Thursday leaves a policy frozen nationwide for now. The vote was 5-4, to four, with conservative Justice Amy Coney Barrett joining liberal justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson saying they would have allowed the Biden administration to put in place the guidance The uh, court also announced it would hear arguments in the case in uh, late November. The justices were acting on the administration's emergency request to the court following uh, conflicting arguments on various cases. Meanwhile, a majority of Americans say Congress should pass a law guaranteeing access to legal abortion nationwide. That is according to a new poll from the Associated Press Newark Center for Public Affairs Research. The U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision overturning Roe v. Wade asserted that abortion is not constitutional. 
All right, and handed uh, states uh, the authority to uh, severely restrict or ban abortion. The poll shows that many Americans back some restrictions on abortion, especially after the first trimester. It also shows that uh, most uh, uh, extreme measures introduced in some Republican-led states are at odds with the public and with many of the people who live with them. And recapping our top story, the U.S. House January 6th Committee is now closing out its set of summer hearings with its most detailed focus yet on the investigation's main target, that's former U.S. President Donald Trump. And the panel has been examining his actions on January 6th of last year as hundreds of his supporters broke into the U.S. Capitol going through the deadly afternoon in minute-by-minute fashion. There's more at voanews.com. Fire remotes. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Friday, July 22nd, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Tunisians go to the polls on July 25th to vote in a constitutional referendum. I don't think that the turnout will be very high. People are somehow disillusioned by the political process in general. So people who follow Tunisia are expecting a comfortable yes, but with a low turnout. Sudan's military government orders a block on all unregistered SIM cards. 76 Malawian protesters are expected to be charged today Friday for unlawful assembly and inciting violence. Congolese voters are said to lack enthusiasm in the latest round of elections. Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni says no to subsidies on rising commodity prices. Because when you subsidize, people will continue buying more and more and more and more because they will not, you will create an artificial comfort to the people for them to think that things are normal. And we'll speak with an Amnesty International campaigner on protest restrictions in Senegal. Those stories plus something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. go to the polls on July 25th to vote in a referendum on a new draft constitution. It will greatly expand the presidential powers, a stark departure from the nation's celebrated 2014 democratic constitution. Some opposition members accused President Kai Saeed of using the referendum to move Tunisia back towards dictatorship. Viewers Carol Castile spoke with Eli Abouahoum, director of the Middle East and North Africa Regional Center in Tunisia for the U.S. Institute of Peace about the likely outcome of Monday's vote. The major change in the new constitution is basically returning to a strong presidential regime. Now, the text that has been drafted and uh, put to the referendum includes obviously several areas uh, of concern. So one of them is the absence of checks and balances on the presidency. The presidency as an institution has a lot more powers obviously than before, but there there is a lack of checks and balances. And this is as one can imagine, this uh, will uh, increase the risk of going back to an authoritarian regime. The other area of concern has to do with the judiciary, the safeguards to make sure that the judiciary is an independent uh, institution, 
uh, are very weak, if at all existing. There has been also a discussion about how Islam was mentioned in the new constitution. Obviously, this is a very gray zone. Islam was mentioned in the 2014 constitution in one way. Now it's mentioned in a different way. In both cases, I see that in Tunisia, the tenets of secularism are still very strong. Where does public opinion stand with respect to the referendum? Do you expect the referendum to pass or not? So in general, the approval rate of the president of the republic have been quite high uh, since last July up until now. Of course, there was some erosion that happened over the last year, but this erosion was minimal. The president remains the most popular political figure in Tunisia. When it comes to the referendum, however, I don't think that the turnout will be very high. People are somehow disillusioned by the political process in general. So it's not only my expectation, but many other analysts or people who follow Tunisia are expecting a comfortable yes as an outcome of the referendum, but with a low turnout. The majority of Tunisians, while they are really, you know, they have a grievance against the last 10 years, and this is what is justifying their support for the measures that the president is, uh, is taking, but they don't seem to be willing to go and vote, actually, on Monday. Dr. Abu Aoun, you're a keen observer of the region and of Tunisia in particular. Do you think Tunisia can come, in a sense, back from the brink? I think that uh, Tunisia has still a lot of assets to resist a counter-revolution. I think that despite everything that is happening, a lot of Tunisians are still, you know, attached to the basic freedoms and rights. And, uh, you know, we have partners in the government in Tunisia. We see a lot of reform-minded uh, senior officials in the, in the Ministry of Interior and other governmental entities uh, that are really committed to a reform agenda. This is why I still hold a little bit of optimism when it comes to uh, preventing Tunisia from sliding back to an authoritarian regime. Eli Abouaoum is the director of the Middle East and North Africa Regional Center in Tunisia for the U.S. Institute of Peace. He spoke with viewers Carol Castile. Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni says his government will not introduce subsidies or reduce taxes to control skyrocketing commodity prices. He says those proposed solutions will force the government to deplete its currency reserves and harm the economy. Mugumi Davis Rakarinji reports from Kampala. While addressing the nation this week, Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni blamed soaring commodity prices on the war in Ukraine and bad weather conditions. Both have contributed to poor yields and high food prices. The president called on people to exercise self-discipline and control their spending. Because when you subsidize, people will continue buying more and more and more and more because they will not, they will not see the, 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 the... You will create an artificial comfort to the people for them to think that things are normal. Fuel prices have more than doubled in just one year. President Museven says the country should revert to clean energy and use electric vehicles. There have been suggestions that the government reduce taxes on imports, notably wheat and petroleum products. Museven says that is not practical. The taxes are in order to develop. We want to make new roads. We want to make new products, new projects. Now, instead of, now because of that, that those projects are stopped. The money is put in cham cham. They're just eating okulia. Recently, Museven sparked public debate when he suggested people 
start eating local food cassava instead of wheat products, which are mainly imported. Magara Ruima, a policy analyst at local think tank CSBAG, agrees that the government should not introduce subsidies. Ruima suggests it should help farmers adopt irrigation and other modern farming practices. I think it is important for government now, instead of uh, getting worried about uh, food prices, to, to embark on supporting farmers to, to do uh, production so that they are able to, to, to supply enough food to the market and that will bring down the prices. But political economy analyst Harold Kaija says the government should come up with immediate solutions to rising commodity prices. You have seen ministers driving convoys of seven cars. You see the president, he does not, he does not actually change his lifestyle. So in that way, they leave the people to grass. And you have seen the, the effect. Crimes have increased. Government must not just keep quiet because they responsibility as to why they take, they take oath and control resources of, of, uh, of our country is to do something. Uh, reduce taxes, give subsidies to the people. Neighboring Kenya recently introduced subsidies on food imports and fuel in a bid to control rising market prices. Observers say it remains to be seen which solution helps bring down prices and reduce hunger. For VOA News, I am Gume, Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Sudan's military leaders have instructed telecommunications companies in the country to block all unregistered SIM cards. Military spokesperson Nambiul Abdallah says the decision is meant to reduce hate speech on social media. But as Michael Atit reports from Khartoum, some civil rights activists are condemning the decision as a violation of freedom of expression and privacy. In its extraordinary meeting on Wednesday, the Sudanese military authority instructed telecommunications companies to immediately suspend services to all SIM cards that are not registered. Military spokesperson Nabil Abdallah says Sudanese leaders also resolved to take legal action against anyone found inciting hate speech on social media and elsewhere. All judicial and security authorities must take the necessary urgent legal measures against parties that incite racist strife and engage in sedition, whether through social media or any other channels that affect social peace and public tranquility in the country. The military says hate speech and the negative use of social media escalated recent intercommunal violence in Blue Nile State between the Hausa and the Berti tribes. The violence left more than 100 people dead. Nearly 200 others were injured and thousands of people, mostly women and children, have been displaced. Some Khartoum residents and activists have condemned the move, saying it violates people's privacy. Khartoum resident Zainab Muzammil says communication is a personal right and no one has the right to take it away. The authorities have no legal rights to intervene in personal affairs of anybody. This is one of the tools used by any authoritarian rule to crack down on every challenging party to their rule. That is why they are using their authority on telecommunications. Sudanese lawyer and rights defender Samir Sheikh Idris calls the decision illegal, saying it violates citizens' freedom of expression. Idris says telecommunications companies have no right to terminate a contract with a client unless there is a legal basis for doing so.
They don't have the right to stop this service which is between a client and a telecommunications company. These services are provided based on certain conditions and any interference with the services from the companies might have legal implications. Telecommunications companies in Sudan were not immediately available for comment. Sudanese military authorities have shut down communications and internet services during mass demonstrations in the country a move which have been described by many human rights activists as a violation of freedom of expression. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Friday, July 22nd. Ahead on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Police in Malawi say about 76 protesters are expected to appear in court today, Friday, to face charges of unlawful assembly and inciting violence. This follows their arrest on Wednesday when demonstrations against the high cost of living led to clashes with police and the looting of shops in the capital, Lilongwe. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The crashes started after the High Court of Malawi granted an injunction to business owners who wanted to block the protesters, fearing property damage. Harry Namaz is the deputy spokesperson for the Malawi Police Service. He says the protesters took issue with the court's decision. So we understand they did not agree with that and uh, they wanted to proceed despite the injunction. Now, you understand where there's an injunction, as well forces, we cannot allow an action to proceed. That is contact of court. So we listened with them, but it seems uh, they didn't want to listen. Namaza also said the protesters started marching in a way, resulting in crashes with police who tried to stop them. They now started blocking the law. They started damaging other people's shops, stolen cars, and causing all sorts of damages in other areas. And uh, we fired takers, and in the course also we arrested at least 76 people who were perpetrating the violence. And those arrested include four leaders of the Human Rights Ambassadors Group, which organized the demonstrations. Some rights campaigners accused the police of using excessive force in trying to stop the protest. Sylvester Namiwam is executive director for the Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives. Actually, the mandate of the Malawi Police Service is to ensure that they should protect the lives, property of Malawians, not to fight with them. The police should have been there just to provide that necessary security. The rest of those things should have been avoided. So it's the careless approach in the way we handle the issue. Namaza says Diegas was the best weapon available to stop the violence. You know, we have different weapons at our disposal we can use in such situations. Uh, we have rifles, we have tear gas, we have rubber bullets. So we assess each and every situation. So the people may give all sorts of comments, but uh, what we are saying that before we start firing tear gas, we assess situations. Gospel Kazako is the government spokesperson. He says as much as the government respects people's rights to hold peaceful demonstrations, it is unfortunate that the organizers of Wednesday's protests defied a court order to stop the planned protests. If the court issued an injunction 
I think uh, it was very important that for those that had organized these demonstrations needed to comply. You cannot be above the law, regardless of who you are. Police spokesperson Namaza says those arrested Wednesday have been charged with inciting violence, unlawful assembly, and contempt of court. Rice campaigner Namiwa said similar nationwide demonstrations are planned for next week Thursday. Lamek Masina for VOA News. Blanta, Malawi. Legislative and local elections took place in early July in the Republic of Congo. The announced results continue to arouse mixed reactions among the public. After the proclamation of the provisional results of the local and legislative election, several candidates have filed appeals with the Constitutional Court. They denounced alleged irregularities observed during the conduct of the vote. Rosie Piof has this report from Brazzaville. Critics allege several irregularities in recent elections. They include the withdrawal of the names of the candidate from voting list, a lack of logos and the faces of the candidate on the ballot papers, and the confiscation of the hazard by the heads of the polling stations. They said there were a lack of transparency in the publication of the FANI scores and also an atmosphere of tweets and intimidations. Dave Ephraim Mafula was an unsuccessful presidential candidate in March 2021 and was also defeated in recent legislative election in the electoral district of Mosaka, located in the Cuvet department in the country. He is critical of the latest vote. Les attentes des Congolais étaient claires. He says that the expectations of the Congolese were clear to ensure a better expression of their interest by replacing support of one's own ethnic group with support for the ideas offered by a candidate. He says that the Congolese are the big loser of these elections because they have led to the further fracturing of the country. Anatole Colline Makoso is the Congo Prime Minister. He says voter service showing a lack of enthusiasm for the election is a challenge for the government. Ça nous interpelle en tant que... He says that the situation demonstrates to officials that there is a crisis of citizenship. He promises to work to improve the confidence and enthusiasm of Congolese citizens in democracy. The military and the police will go to the polls in the second round of the legislative election on July 26 for and on July 41 for the rest of the population. It is after the announcement of the result of the second half that a constitutional court will hold on the various appeals logged by unsuccessful candidates. In the first round of the vote, the Congolese Labour Party, in power for 50 years, won 102 seats out of the 102 151 in the National Assembly. For VOA News, I'm Rosie Piot in Brazzaville. A new report by Amnesty International says the right to protest is under unprecedented threat in regions across the world, including in Senegal. Amid upcoming legislative elections, Senegalese protesters are using ways to get around restrictions, such as banging pots and pans from their homes. Amnesty campaigner Kadida Tudia spoke to Ricky Stryak about the restrictions on freedom of assembly and speech in Senegal just before the July 31st polls. So most of time, protests are banned by administrative authorities, keeping risk of public disorder. If, they, if um, despite the ban, politicians and also sometimes civil society organizations or activists, they challenge the ban, usually two things happen. 
what the first thing is the arbitrary arrest and that lead to detention and prosecution and also the excessive use of force. The other thing that we notice also is the restrictive laws. In Senegal, we have a decree from a minister that states that we cannot demonstrate in some area in downtown, despite the uh, court, ECOWAS code that uh, asked Senegal to receive this uh, decision within three months since last March. Uh, we're still waiting and uh, no decision was made by the authority of, of, of Senegal. So the demonstrations are banned. Often um, demonstrations are, or protests happen during uh, and upcoming the uh, legislative elections, and the legislative elections are coming up in Senegal. Uh, have there been an increase uh, in protests, or does this clampdown affect freedom of speech around such an important time? We noticed that also late last 70 June, the opposition, they wanted to organize demonstrations in Cape Town, in, in the country, in Dakar, Senegal. But most of those, the, those demonstrations were banned by authority. That was linked to the election, as you said. And uh, during those protests, they, we didn't even have protests, but uh, uh, people were, were arrested. Um, and detained, and some of them were charged and uh, prosecuted. And uh, even if they were released uh, 10 days after, uh, there were people arrested and detained. And we, in Amnesty, we think that it was arbitrary arrest and detention because those people just wanted to express their right to protest. You mentioned an increase in arrest or de and detention then of uh, protesters mm -hmm. or opposition leaders. Does this then have a chilling effect on uh, the citizens' ability to disagree with their government? The, the effect is now... Um, People are intimidated or like we're trying to jabalize the demonstration because when we see that every time that those uh, demonstrations happen, people are arrested or like uh, they they killed or sometimes they are, they are killed. We, we noticed that people were killed during demonstrations last year. So people like tend to see that demonstrations are bringing problems in, in, in the country. So, uh, that's why we keep uh, telling people that uh, you have the right to demonstrate. That was Kadida Tudea, a campaigner with Amnesty International. She was speaking from Dakar with Ricky Stryak. Time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Morocco, where Bayern Munich forward Sadou Mane was crowned African Footballer of the Year for the second time. The Senegalese international received the prestigious honors at the awards ceremony on Thursday in Rabat, Morocco. Mane, who joined Bayern earlier this summer, won the award ahead of former Liverpool teammate Mohamed Salah and Chelsea goalkeeper Edward Mendy. Nigeria international Asisat Oshola scooped the women's award after helping Barcelona defend their league title. Tottenham teenager Papi Matassar, who was part of Senegal's Afghan winning squad, took home the men's young player of the year award. Nigeria and Zambia will battle for bronze medals of the 12th Women African Cup of Nations on Friday at the Complex Mohamed V in Casablanca. Head coach of Zambia's Copper Queens, Bruce Mwape, said on Thursday that his girls have put behind them the controversial defeat to South Africa. They had lost one nil after an out-of-time penalty kick that is still a talking point at the Morocco 2022 finals. Naturally, most of them were affected. But we 
we had to, to, to tell them that uh, they, are, they are the ones who are supposed now to, to push and uh, try to uh, market themselves. The senior players also helped in trying to change the mood in camp. On his part, Randy Waldrop is optimistic that Nigeria's Super Falcons will give their all in spite of a rush of injuries and suspensions in the camp of the nine-time champions. We'll put an 11 out that we feel like can win the game, as I said earlier, and that'll be our expectation. Um, you know, missing some key players, you, you make a really good point, but we have confidence in all of those players. Staying with football news, Cameroon have been ordered to pay former coach Tony Cosencio compensation of $1.63 million after sacking him following their third-place finish at this year's African Cup of Nations finals. In hockey news, Egypt's Saif Ahmed has been appointed as the acting president of the International Hockey Federation following the resignation of India's Naridia Batra on Monday. A permanent successor to Batra is due to be elected in November. The appointment of Ahmed, president of the Africa Hockey Federation, who has been involved in the sport for more than 60 years, was announced following an FIH executive board meeting which officially accepted Batra's resignation. From hockey to athletics to the World Athletics Championship taking place in Oregon, where Kenya's trio of Margaret Chilimo, Beatrice Chibet and Gloria Kiti are ready to defend the 5,000 meters title in Sunday's finals. The Kenyans are up against a trio of Ethiopians led by Gidei, who won hit two in a time of 14 minutes, 52.27 seconds, with 2017 bronze medalist Dutch girl Hassan Sifan coming in third in 14 minutes, 52 Point eight nine seconds, and that's it on Debrick Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good weekend. And that's it for this Friday, July twenty second edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this week with us. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Butt in Washington, wishing you a very good weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. Yeah.